There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia swallowed through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Climactic, your story on climate change. And this week it really is all about your story because we've got our first interview from Torquay. Hey there, Max. Hi, how are you going? Very good. So I was so excited a couple days ago when you sent this interview through. I'd been like sort of pushing this uphill for a while, this idea that I want to have more people on the show doing these interviews. And then there you were, right right when I needed it the most, you said, oh, I've just done this interview. And it was fantastic. And I cannot wait to be sharing it with people. Before we get into all that, can you just let people know who you are and, and whereabouts you're from? So I'm Maxine and I'm originally from Gippsland or Latrobe Valley. So the coal centre of Victoria. So I grew up in that area and then moved to Geelong for university. Overseas, in between, came back to Melbourne and now I've moved back to Torquay. So I've decentralised and, yeah, working on my own business, which I've started up. You were thinking, I guess, for another presenter and I was so excited when you asked me I was just stoked I was really excited you were excited oh yeah it was just like whoa this is on my goals you know (laughs) become the presenter of a sustainable radio show <laughs> and, and I said, better. I came to you and said, Do you want to be a presenter on a sustainable radio show? <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly it. I was like, Hang on a minute, there's a, a thing on my to do list, and I can put a tick next to that podcast even better because the reach. Yeah, and doing it from anywhere is so wide. That's right. Yeah, yeah fantastic. So. Well, luckily, if people want to know a lot more about you, Max, you were our, our first guest on the show. So you can just go back to climactic.fm slash one. You were number one, and to hear all about Max and your backstory and everything. So, Max, you're living down in Torquay. Do you expect to be able to bring us a lot of stories from down there? Yes, definitely. There's a lot going on. Greater Geelong area and the Surf Coast region, as well as regional Victoria. I just think there's a lot going on in this area, and I think it's really important to tell the regional story as well, how climate change is affecting regional areas. And we're lucky, I guess, in some senses, compared to what's going on in New South Wales. It's a little, little different, but I'm, mm-hmm. I dare say there's impacts coming, um, and there have been. I mean, we've been through a, a pretty bad bushfire season in the past since we moved here. We actually got evacuated. It was a watch and act, so it was like, okay, we're out. It was Christmas Day, so yeah, it's definitely affecting our region as well. There's other impacts around our region, like population growth, trying to have sustainable development, um, when I Mm -hmm. think the developers are very aware that they're going to be restricted at some stage, so they're just trying to pack in as much as they can before before that happens. So, 
there's a lot of concern and politically it's very uh, a very interesting time at the moment. Which leads very well into this interview you just did. Tell us a little bit about your guests today and, and where you met them and why you thought they'd be uh, interesting to have on. So I think I met Damo for the first time Damien Cole, I met him, I think it was at a screening environmental movie that was put on by Surf Mm -hmm. Coast Energy Group, and this was prior to us becoming committee members, so I signed up as a committee member, it was over a year ago now, and I've just re-signed up, committed for another year. At least Damien came on to our committee as well, which was awesome, because We've got a lot of long-term and dedicated members and committee members, but it was great to see somebody that was in their 30s as well <laughs> come on board. <laughs> so, and that's, I think, a big part of why Jamie and I are so keen to bring more people in, people of our age, into this issue. And interestingly enough, the voting demographic of South Barwon is... Yeah, the average, the, the bulk of the age is um, around 38 years old, so... That's us. So it's really interesting because originally you'd think it would be older. Yeah, you guys are indicative of of the average sort of resident of the area. Those big waves of people moving out from the city to the country has been that life stage. Well, Max, it sounds like you're going to have a lot of good stories to bring us from that community because those are fascinating dynamics to it with that constant juggle between how to keep it sustainable, but how to allow for the growth you're going to experience and you're already experiencing. So I really look forward to sharing this interview with people and we really look forward to to more in the future. I'm very excited to be on board. (laughs) It's really cool. And yeah, to bring, bring the voices of our area and regional Victoria to climactic. And I'm sitting here in my living room with Damien Cole in Torquay. G'day, g'day. And um, we're um, excited because it's pretty good timing for our little movements. Yes, it is. It's perfect timing. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the, in the area and in yeah, the community. Definitely. We're just off the back of a Surf Coast Energy Group committee meeting last night. Yep, very productive. New committee members joining up, so we're really excited. Um, and there's... Uh, news articles in the paper in the um, Geelong Advertiser and the Surf Coast Times, and what are they? What are they saying out there? Uh, well, it's obviously there's a there's an election, a state election coming up in the very near future on November twenty fourth. There's been a lot of commotion about the overdevelopment going on in coastal towns, particularly around Torquay. So finally, Liberal and Labor have kind of stood up and said they want to do something <laughs> about it, although. None of it is really, I don't know, it's all a bit of motherhood statements at the moment. Oh, we want to protect it, you know, but what does that actually mean? We're not 100% sure yet. How to win an election 101. Yes. Yeah. That's one way of winning an election. Yeah. So um, let's go from the now. What are you up to at the moment? Apart from Surf Coast Energy Group, you've got a fair <coughs> bit going on. So yeah, let's, yeah. let's hear about that. I'm staying, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of keeping pretty busy. Well, funnily enough, speaking of the election, May as well go straight into that, which uh, I've decided to run as an independent for the seat of South Barwon this year. Amazing. Um, so that's that's one of them. And that started out through, I guess, an alliance of different community groups in the Torquay area, uh, including Surf Coast Energy Group, also known as SKEG. Um, just being concerned about the community not being represented properly mm. and just having a lot of development and a lot of things happening in the town, which the community doesn't really actually want, but um, 
but we're being, I guess, ignored from the local council and state government. So the Greater Torquay Alliance was formed. How long has, got, uh, has that been going? Uh, we started meetings earlier this year, probably right. in April, mm. and we've really just got going over the last kind of... We've been having meetings for six months, but we've really been trying to get all our ducks in a row um, before we came out live. So we, we've got a website up and running, we've got obviously our Facebook pages, and we've been doing a lot of a lot of research into the kind of legalities behind all the overdevelopment, actually, looking at the different things like the ballerine yellow gums and the offset changing in regulations between 2013 and 2017. There's a change coming or is it lapsing? It's, no, uh, it's already started. So we had the, the, the whole situation with that is uh, there was the 2013 regulations, yep. which determined the value pretty much of these yellow these yellow guns, these ballerine yellow guns. They're endangered. They're endangered. So yeah. 92% of their uh, habitat and, and their 92% of them are gone. So we're left wow. with 8% and a huge part of them are in Spring Creek Valley. Where ah, Spring the- Creek. This battle's been going on for quite some time, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been going on for... When was the Red Rally? The I think Red- that was 2009. Amazing. This, so yeah. this has been going on for over 10 years. And the thing is, listen, it's still going. And yeah. there's still there's still a very big number of us that are actually on the front lines fighting it. And not just fighting it as opposing it morally, but we're actually looking at some of the things that are being done behind the scenes, which we don't think are you know, very much representative of the general population. Which includes this ballerine yellow gum thing, getting back to that. So they had the, the regulations from 2013, which obviously that's what the original developers went with. Mm. And the regulations actually changed as of December last year. But it was under the discretion of the Surf Coast Council as to whether they use the 2013 regulations or the 2017 regulations. And they've opted with the 2013 ones. Which is better for... Which is better for the developers developers. because the 2017 regulations tightened up the the offsets and made it a lot harder. They actually went 22 times higher. Wow. So, you know, so 22 times the cost. And that what they've got is they've got a 12-month grace period because the planning of Spring Creek development was started before then so so we're in that grace period we're in that grace period but it actually finishes on december 17th which happens to be just over three weeks after a state election there's a lot going on there's a lot to take in and i'm honestly still trying to get my head around the whole lot as well Um, i think that from chatting to you from when you first announced that you were running um, which i was really excited to hear about i definitely think that you're aligned and you know what you're thinking and it seems like it's coming together really nicely yeah it's good it's, timing and yeah. it's good timing i listen and this is the thing for for me i i, I this was never part of the plan what was the moment <laughs> <laughs> what uh, happened what, what well, prompted it, you to, to <laughs> put your hand up yeah <laughs> i don't know i uh, okay so listen with the development of the this like of this greater talkie alliance there was a lot of people who have been quite prominent in the community for some time. So we had people from the 3228 Residents Association. That's our postcode, by the way, if anyone's yeah. listening, uh, so, 3228. Yeah, it's the greater, kind of the greater Torquay area, essentially. And then we had uh, members of SANE, which is Surfers Appreci- Appreciating the Natural Environment. Mm-hmm. We had Surf Rider Australia, Wandanaka, uh, Dun- Dunwana? Dunwana Community Gap. Right? Yep, that's the one, I think. 
Um, so we had a so we had a bunch of representation from these different groups. Have a community groups. garden down there, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Surf Coast Energy Group. So I was a representative of that. We were talking about how we could m- most kind of make an impact, uh, you know, to re- redirect our town into a place that we can all be happy and, and live, kind of s- increase or at least keep our social well being and our cultural identity and, and our natural environment. And that we kept, you know, they kept getting brought up by all these. These other people who I listen, I'm pretty new to the whole game. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm pretty new to the whole activism kind of conservation thing. I've I've spent most of my twenties traveling and kind of doing probably a little bit more of a selfish thing, I guess. But a bit of reconnaissance, really, a bit of, <laughs> a bit of, a bit of research, research, which uh, sure. yeah, yeah, traveling the world and doing some research and, and figuring out exactly where I fit into this world. And then again, sitting around at this table full of all these people that knew exactly what was going on and, and, and kind of they seemed to be talking all this kind of big stuff and policies and planning and, you know, overlays and all of this. And I kind of started going, oh, am I a bit, a bit, bit over my head here? Like these people think, you know, seem to know what's going on. And they kept bringing up this thing of it'd be great to run a candidate. It'd be great to run a candidate to really push Liberal and Labor because we're also the South Bar, the seat of South Darwin, which Torquay is in is, I think, the second most marginal mm. seat in Victoria behind yep. Richmond. And currently Liberals are in and at the moment. Yeah, so we've got Liberals in, but and obviously... is Richmond similar? Funnily no, so Labor. they've got Labor in. Yep. And funnily enough, the Richmond seat is held by the planning minister. Oh, that is right. Which is pretty interesting to think. Uh, I don't know how political everyone is or whatever, but... I think there's a lot of listeners out there that are, are super political. So yeah, we can, so... We can uh, go there. <laughs> let's go with... Well, it's pretty simple that, listen, I would never want to be a planning minister because you're just going to be hated no matter what, really. There's just... There's no... So to put the planning minister minister into the, the most kind of sought-after seat and the most kind mm. of marginal seat... With the Greens, like, nipping at the chomping at the, the, yeah. So, uh, yes, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, so I guess that they kept bringing it up, bringing it up and kind of thinking like, you know, saying like, well, it'd be great to run a candidate. Mm. And then after a while, I just started thinking, I was like, well, I might not be all over it in terms of the policies and kind of exact, that that kind of exact. No, um, as I say, I'm still learning. And these, you know, the people that I've been working with are just amazing, like the work mm. that they do around town and they've been doing it for years. So they kind of know the ins and outs. And I just kind of thought, and, and this is where I, I think I've developed quite a lot, even over the last kind of six months or 12 months, but I just kind of thought, well, what have I got to offer? And I thought, well, I can rally the troops, you know, I, I can be a voice and I, I've kind of got that youth on my side being, I oh, just turned 32. I guess oh my the, gosh, yeah, yeah, you are, you're yeah. young and... Well, that's it. So it's all relative, but as for a political side and, and the people that I've, I'm working with, with the, the Greater Torquay Alliance, all a fair bit wiser than I am. And, they've got and, a wealth uh, of knowledge. Well, they've got a wealth of wealth and them. a whole head of grey hair, the majority yeah. of them. Um, <laughs> so they're a little older than me and, and, and kind of, I just kind of thought, all right, well, I can kind of, my my bit is, is maybe I can, and I, and I at the end, I kind of said like, uh, one of the one of the meetings, I kind of said, "Are we still looking at a candidate or what?" And they said, "Well, no one wants to put their hand up." And I just kind of like sheepishly just kind of the hand slowly went up, and I said, "Oh, I'll I'll do it," you know. And they awesome. were just like, "Oh, really?" And I said, "Well," and I said, "Listen, this isn't going to be about me. This has to be. This has to come from the whole group, and we have to really represent the whole, which we are doing. But I, I really want this to be a, a community kind of representation." 
So I'm going to need the help of as many people as I can because it has to be. That's that's how resilient kind of change does happen is, is from the bottom up, from grassroots up, and it has to you know include everyone. So especially now, yeah. It's so that's very um, very brave. Yeah. And but you're right with with knowledge behind you uh, of all this this wealth of knowledge and skills and everything that people can bring. I mean that's what government should be really about is the community coming together and having the voice. Well, that's what a democracy is intended to be. Yeah. It's that that's what we do is we elect representative to represent our communities whether it's on a local local level, state level or federal level. And unfortunately, I think we've we've and it's really come to a head now, but we've been seeing it for a long time now where it's now really it, it's just they've turned it into it's not politics. And this is, I kind of got my head around it the other day where it's not politics that's in necessarily in shambles because politics is the everyday workings for every single one of us. It's education, it's health, it's, it's you know, it's, it's absolutely everything right, that we do. It's security, it's jobs, it's environment, the whole lot. So politics isn't the problem, it's the politicians. And the politicians, I think, are just completely out of touch with the people that they're supposedly representing and they've gotten so caught up in this four-year terms getting the votes getting the votes yeah. making sure that they get re-elected making sure that that they keep their job and that they also the other thing is that they it's they, it's turned into this game where they're looking after the corporations and mm. it's it's just really lost its way as a whole you know mm. and that's why we we decided that we needed to run a candidate and that's and it, this is the interesting thing is I started off purely as the Greater Talk Airlines to try and get a little bit of political bargaining chip. And since I've started now, I am now just looking at it. I'm going 100% for, like, for the win. I'm having a crack. I'm coming for these suckers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I am really, like, because I've had enough. Like, I, I just think that the way they're doing things is so 20th century and we have 21st century problems Knocking at the doorstep, you know, it, it's barred. The twentieth, 21st century issues have come flying through the door and we've got no way of stopping it at the moment with the current system we have. So, And climate change is... is oh, front and centre. Front and centre. Front yeah. and centre. Yeah. And, and climate change is the number one threat and you can put it all in together. If you, Our social well-being depends mm. on our climate, you yeah. know, and, and everything around it, our economy is our climate. There's one thing that we cannot forego and that's our, our natural environment and we need to really start looking at this very seriously, which I just don't feel that our governments are. And that's what is mainly affecting, well, ultimately affecting the yellow gum. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's a combination of everything. There's, pre- yeah. there's pressure and stresses coming from all different directions. But, yeah, a lot of it is either in part due to climate change mm. or it's accelerating climate change. And what drives me absolutely crazy is just the fact that environment always tends to come last on mm. the agenda, you know. And, and yeah, that, like if I was a yellow gum and I was endangered, maybe they'd think about it. If you were, you know, oh, exactly hey, I'm it. a yellow gum, I need yeah. help here. Exactly. And we well, had yeah, a voice. And that's exactly it. Yeah, mm. if we had a voice, that's, that's, that's exactly it. So... I just look at that as the, the environment just as number one. It's just the one thing that is non-negotiable because, and this is the way I kind of put it sometimes, and it might not be politically correct, but you know what? Like equal rights in whether it's feminism or race or whatever, or 
that means nothing if we don't have the environment. You know, our Mm -hmm. economical gain or jobs in Queensland or, (laughs) you know, like tourism or any of that. Like, yes, it's it's front and centre for our, our economy now today, but without the environment, we've got nothing. If we can't breathe... Then we're all gone anyway. So that's that's it's plain and simple without trying to get it too dramatic. You know, so we'll dramatic. just hope for some acid rain and then maybe something change will happen. Well, that's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of essential. We kind no, of have to do it. No. We're not we're not asking for acid rain. No, no, no. no. So, <laughs> did you always think like this? Uh, yes. Yeah. Listen, I I had a really I had a very fortunate upbringing. I I've had. Yeah, I've had a, an amazing. So tell us a bit about years. tell us a bit about your 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 parents and yes. what their background is and how you the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, when two people love each other, um, <laughs> I didn't think I'd be having this conversation. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, so my parents are from Torquay. My dad is a pretty well known surfboard shaper, mm-hmm. and my mum is a. She's just an angel. She's one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. And are they connected um, to the environment themselves? Well, yeah. Like my dad is more so. Um, and I've been kind of figuring this out as I go because obviously, being you know, when you're when you're the the child of, of two different people, you kind of start analysing what you get from different different character traits and things. Mm. And I think I got my my social and environmental activism definitely from my dad. And then I've got more of my... I could see that. Yeah. If anyone <laughs> hasn't heard of Maurice Cole, um, look him up. He's yeah. got a few YouTube videos, I think, and probably some <sighs> rants here and there. He's, he knows a, what he thinks. Yeah, he's yeah. a very strong... He's a strong-minded character, which... And this is where I definitely am too. If you round me up, I can definitely <laughs> get quite energised and passionate. But then I've got my mum's side and she's just this, like, beautiful soul who's, yeah, just never wishes harm on anyone. And not that my dad does, but, yeah, so I've got this kind of nice balance, I think. But uh, they actually moved to France back in 1981 after my now dad. Now, you weren't born then because I was born in 82 and I'm older than you. No. So, so uh, yeah, so <laughs> that's it. So my dad was part of the Australian team for a world, uh, like, the, their world amateur titles or something for surfing. Great. And fell in love with the place, came home, grabbed my mum, and then went back there. And then, uh, yeah, and then my sister was born, and, and then I was born three years later. And then, yes, yeah, so I grew up, I spent the first nine years of my life in France, in the southwest of France, in a little town called Hossegore, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the more famous surfing areas in the world. Parlez-vous français? Oui, je parle français. Ah, Pas de souci. Yeah, listen, so this, and this is all part of it. I uh, I grew up speaking both languages, which is really cool. I'd speak English at home and then French everywhere else. And, oh, like, like my parents have never had a normal nine-to-five job and they've never had a, we've never had the, the I guess, like, I've never had, like, the putting quotation marks kind of average Grow like you know lifestyle or, or or kind of upbringing. It was always pretty out there, and yeah, like w- one of the things that really got me started in all this mm. uh, was when I was maybe six or seven years old, and and my dad really. So we, we used to we used to be a very very much a, a kind of go to house for any traveling surfers. Mm-hmm. 
um, especially all the professional surfers uh, who used to come from Australia and America and things like that. And yeah, and I, I remember this one year, it was the, the, the kind of time when the French government was nuclear testing in the oh, Pacific. Yeah, in the Murrow Atoll. Exactly. Mm. So, and then my dad, this, um, that's when I stopped learning French, by the way. Is it? Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Like, no more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Well, that's. They did get a pretty bad reputation yeah. from that. Yeah. Yeah. So he, my dad, I, I'm a little bit shady on the actual details, but he organised a rally to mm. with all with all the professional surfers, and and I just have this like clear memory of just all of the world's best surfers in my living room painting up signs, you know, saying Amazing. no more testing, and and we all sprayed our hair, our hair different colours, and we <laughs> had all this stuff going on, and all these really cool t-shirts, and and it was I just felt this real sense of just like. We're doing something right for the, you know, for the greater good kind of thing, and uh, and that I was like I don't know six or seven maybe mm. I kind of and I, I just knew like when they explained to me what was happening and it just I was just like why would they do that like it just doesn't make sense mm. and we ended up we we walked yeah we walked up past the uh, vice president's house uh, holiday house so we kind of did a, a walk past his and into the uh, into the surfing competition that was there at the time which is why all the pro surfers were there. And so, yeah, there was this like really cool, really cool community that just it felt like I was just, yeah, it just felt really good having that, just people getting together and getting together for a greater cause, you know? So, yeah, so it started there probably. And then I've just, I have, I've watched my dad do so many amazing things mm. like it, with his life in terms of, you know, when we moved, we moved to Margaret River after that. And he was pretty heavily involved in the local community there, making sure that the youth kind of had things to do to keep, try and keep them Is away from drugs. that where he's originally and, from? No, right? so he's originally from Warnable. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he moved to Torquay. My parents moved to Torquay when they were about 15 or 16. So back when Youngins. you back when you could move when you were fifteen, just you put know, everything and just, in the car and go. yeah, not really have a proper job, and I don't know. It, was, it sounds like good times back in those <laughs> days. Yes, yeah, so then we yeah we did Margaret River, and I just saw him get continue to get involved in in a lot of social kind of like community groups and things like that. Yeah, really put his neck out to to try and make make his community a better place. So I guess I've got a lot lot to thank. I kind of emulated him really, and and does there. Like I know your your dad's indigenous background. Has that affected how you look at the world? It's an interesting one that because so my dad was adopted oh, in cool. the fifties, yep. and we're actually not a hundred percent sure what we are in terms of our ethnic and cultural background. He was very good at shielding us from any of the negative side, or not shielding us, but kind of making us aware that there is negative things out there. But he never really brought it onto us. Mm. But he, I know, went through a lot, um, particularly because he actually didn't know. So growing up in Warrnambool, he was the only dark kid in the school. And then that uh, that uncertainty of he can't even, he can't you know, say it's what, not exactly yeah. what we are. So And, and everyone, it's funny because everyone keeps telling me, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, you're Aboriginal. And, you know, and I, I never say that I am. I kind of always just, back, yeah. you know, I've been invited into the Indigenous, the National Indigenous titles for surfing. And I'm always like, oh, the fact that I don't 100% know, I don't, I don't know if I feel it really comfortable. And I've got Indigenous friends who are like, mate, if like you, you are one of us, you know, and I'm just like, which makes me feel great. It's <laughs> a but, DNA test right there. Well, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. When you got, yeah, when you got the boys kind of going like, mate, jump on in. But, yeah, so that's that's an interesting one. But it, it, in saying that, I think my whole family, so myself, my sister, and my dad, have always felt definitely a deep connection. Mm. It's an it's like that it, is interesting. Yeah, like I've talked I've talked to my sister about it with, when you know, and we've kind of agreed that 
Some people get goosebumps when they hear the bagpipes. I get that when I hear didgeridoo. For me, mm. as soon as I hear that, it just something in me just kind of goes straight up my, my, my backbone. And I'm just like, oh, that just resonates with me. But in saying, I don't know. I don't know what Who that knows? means. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what I am in terms of that background. But it, in a sense, it also, it has changed my outlook because as, as important as your cultural heritage is, for someone like myself who's not sure, I also look at it and break down all those barriers. Mm. And I go, at the end of the day, it's we're all human beings. Yeah. And that's what we need to focus on is – and, and not taking away from any anyone else's cultures or anything like that, but – I just try to I try to look at it from a from that perspective where I go well whether you're you know religious background you know difference or you know if your your sexual orientation or your whatever it might be for me that doesn't matter you know it's it's just we let's let's look at what we're, what's what our similarities are and work with that mm. and we all live on the planet exactly yeah mm. so it affects all of us you know so, so you've had an interesting career background as well. Um, you didn't start out in the environmental sector. No. So as much as I grew up with an environmentally conscious kind of attitude and, and values, I hope some of your listeners are, are sitting down now. <laughs> it's okay. So I actually <laughs> I used to work in the mines and the offshore industry on and off for, for a few years there. And and now you're organising a rally. <laughs> against big oil. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny how things change. Yeah, and listen, I, I don't shy away from that no. for, for a second. For me, it's... It was um, a booming industry in Australia, and, especially and, then. It was big. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, it, you know, and that's the thing. And the money was there and... I was young and single and just kind of like I had nothing tying me down. And then my excuse, I guess, was, well, if I don't do it, someone else will. It's like my, and this is again in my twenties where I just kind of, I was like, well, I might as well get in there and get, get some money out of it. And yeah. And then it kind of facilitated all my, my traveling and all of that. So it was just one other ingredient that's kind of brought me to where I am today. And I've actually used it more as a tool and, and uh, like that firsthand experience is really a tool now for what I'm doing. And I can actually sit there and, and actually tell people like, Oh, I've been on those, you know, on an offshore, not, not a rig, but I've been on a, on a massive pipe laying barge. Yeah. And I can tell you how horrible it is and how, you know, like I've seen that they, once they're out there and you're away from the, 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 the kind of public eye, there's some pretty shitty things happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it really is kind of, it's something that was, yeah, it was eye-opening, and funnily enough, though, and this is this is like, yeah, I, I used to I used to drive all of my workmates crazy because while we're st- sitting in, you know, whether it was offshore or whether it was at a gas refinery, here we are, kind of just absolutely decimating the local environment and and the the broader kind of environment. And I'm there trying to reuse all the plastics as much as I could. And I was like recycling everyone else's and I was trying to do my bit and crew, you know, and trying to like, I had some English crew that didn't understand that you had to turn the tap off because we have limited water resources and then I'd be like, mate, what are you doing? And you'd be like, what do you mean? There's water coming out of the tap, you know, like that's good. And I'm like, no, man, we're like, that that comes from a limited read. So, so even while I was there, I was environmentally conscious, but I'll admit that, yeah, the money, the money was too good. And really. who knows, maybe that behaviour rubbed off on them in some small way. Yeah. Which is what you And it's also <laughs> it's also brought me who knows where I would have been if I had have just not done that just and, and just into it. Yeah, and just or or if I had have just stayed in, in you know, and just got a normal job in my local wherever, you know, like 
Um, so you're studying now. So I am studying. Yeah. yeah, I'm studying environmental science, and that was actually the final. The funny thing was my final job. Yeah, let's. I, my final job was close to a year, mm. and I'm more than happy to say I probably earned oh, close to two hundred and something thousand or two hundred and something thousand dollars yeah. in that time. And it was the most soul destroying thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I would, I just, I would come out of that three weeks and just be absolutely rattled, and it'd take me so long, and I'd just be sitting there going, "What am I doing? Like, is this really me? Is this really what I wanted to do? I want to be part of this contribution." Like, Evidently not. And then, mm. and that's what where I started thinking, university. Maybe I could go and like, maybe I am a little bit smarter than just you know just being some nobody that just grinds and sweeps up. And then I was like, "Hang on, maybe I've got a little bit more to offer this this world of ours." Um, and then I started looking into, well, what is it that I actually am passionate about, and I. I thought, well, mining, I'm not. <laughs> uh, and I just thought, well, the environment, I'm like, well, that's something that I can really, I've always been passionate about, but never looked into too much on a, on a educational or formalized kind of way. And yeah, so I just took up, I, I started, I applied to a bunch of different universities in, in Melbourne and, and Geelong, but they didn't offer environmental science at Deakin. And I ended up getting in at, at Deakin, uh, at Burwood in Melbourne. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, so I'm kind of two-thirds of the way through. I've been taking a little bit slower. Um, and I've obviously, I've deferred for the rest of this year because... Um, got a bit on your plate. Got a bit on my plate. <laughs> and uh, for anyone out there aspiring to be a, a, a candidate for an election, I really strongly urge you to. But uh, there's, there's a bit of work in there. But if you are, come and talk to me and I'll give you as much help as I can for sure. That's a good uh, good offer. Yeah, yeah. So we there? can find you on Facebook, can't we? Um, what's the Facebook tag? Yep. So it's uh, Damien Cole, which is spelled D-A-M-I-E-N. It's mm. actually the French spelling. So Damien Cole, uh, independent for South Barwon. So that's my page. Yeah, and I'm, I'm posting more and more things as, as this ramps up. And there's, as I said, there's a lot of things going on um, in our local community and, and on a broader scale as well. So that was Damien Cole from the Greater Geelong area running in the November 24th election. So, Max, how did you find that? Was that a fun experience? It was. It was um, a lot easier than I expected. It is literally just setting up a conversation in an environment that you can put the mic on and not be disturbed. Trying to find a bit of furniture that's not creaky in my house is... Yeah, it was kind of challenging because I'm Your house is full, full of character. It's full of secondhand furniture. So Excellent. <laughs> I don't have anything new. But yeah, actually we, we did quite well and we sat with a cup of tea, just chatted. It was, it was actually a lot easier than I thought. I had previously thought I'll get some questions lined up. Damo is a very um, chatty person though, so it makes it easier. But, yeah, um, he sounded like a great guest for that. You could just have a chat with him and, and he wouldn't be stumped for things to say. Exactly. Yeah. That's good. So you've come to us from a radio background. What were some of like, the differences between what you're expecting to find doing like a podcast interview and your experiences in radio? I guess the, the equipment. Um, so I had wondered how I'm going to make a, a really nice quality recording. And thanks to you, I've been able to get my mic working to its optimum uh, and you've been guiding me through on the chat so that was really helpful. You've got the the beanie or or something fabric between the tripod legs and the table. Yeah I've actually got a um, a very nice Peruvian Inca placemat underneath. Oh my goodness that's high class. (laughs) 
yeah, and just the difference, I suppose, is that I used to host radio shows on PBS FM uh, as a music host, so I would have music in the background and a full desk of controls. I guess the difference is you can't turn the mic off and let the music play while you compose yourself. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's and, and the editing side of things as well, I think that was a big plus for me because I was like, oh, how would I edit because I don't – that would be the extra. Yeah, that might be a bit of a bridge too far. Yep. Yeah, if I had to do that part. But we've got a great team actually behind Climactic uh, with a producer as well who's very quality-oriented, <laughs> which is very, <laughs> which is what we want. So – yeah, it was So you've just sent off the file to us and we're going to have it all edited and we'll have this dropped in and then you'll just see your work up on the feed uh, next week. We hope you enjoyed that interview from Torquay. We certainly did. And if you're looking forward to the next one from Maxine, we have some very good news for you. That was just part one of a two-part interview that Maxine did with Damien Cole. And the next part of that interview will be in your feed next week. And we are so excited to have Maxine on board. She is a fantastic interviewer with a whole lot of experience and a completely new perspective to add to the show. We're also really excited because this means we're at the point with the show where we are actually becoming a network. We are able to take in interviews done by other people across the country and put a spotlight on the great stories of people living their best lives in this time of climate change. So if you fancy you'd like to do what Maxine just did, what I do with my interviews in Melbourne, what Rich has done with his interviews in New South Wales. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Just drop us a line at hello at climactic.fm. All right now, time for some credits. Our producer, Caleb Fidicaro. Our designer, Abigail Hawkins. Our composer, Greg Grossi. And our senior advisor, Gretchen Miller. On behalf of Maxine Baisley, we'd like to thank our guest this week, Damien Cole. Look forward to the second half of his interview coming next week. For myself and Rich, have a great week. Thank you for listening. The Climactic Collective.